The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, we're going to talk to Dr. Joe Feuerstein. We're talking endocannabinoid system, but to be clear, Dr. Joe can talk about anything. That's because he's like done everything. I know. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. How do you feel about car decals? I don't. I nothing them. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them are pretty wild. Are they? Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Patty Devers? Crushing it. You know, do you even have to ask that anymore? I don't know why I do. I know. Well, maybe it's just because I want to see whether you're crushing it or living your best life or both. Ah, yeah, got to change it up. So this is a podcast called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you to Genova. Thank you. And thank you to all of you out there for listening to this. It's where we talk about things like specialty lab testing, integrative medicine, and therapeutics, and all that sort of natural healy stuff. (laughs) And if you stuck with us through all of that healy stuff for all of these episodes. 259 episodes of healy stuff. And, And if you've returned, thank you so much for your ongoing support. And if you're new, welcome. Hopefully some of you would have gone to iTunes, perhaps Spotify, all those places and follow us. Leave us some stars. Rate. You know, we don't get enough written reviews. We get some amazing emails, really amazing emails thanking us, but not a lot of reviews. Well, people people like their privacy, you know? I suppose that's true. I guess, that, but the thing to know is that you don't have to give your real name, so it can all be right. anonymous as well. That's right. Although I don't know where it is that you changed that. I tried to leave a review for something one time and yeah. I was like, it just said, put your review in. And then I was like, well, how, how do I change my name? Because I see people have all these different names. And yeah. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I'll teach you. Well, oh. I'll teach you. That's kind of you. But then, you know, you like to your point, people like their privacy. So how would they contact us in a private way? Oh, well, that's easy. Go ahead. You can send uh, you can send an email mm-hmm. to podcast at gdx.net. You can en- doubly encrypt it if you want. <laughs> you can even make up a fake email address if you want. <laughs> We're here to support your privacy needs. That's right. So, uh, yeah, you can give us more feedback. You can send us submissions, questions of the day, disclaimers, any of that sort of stuff. And we will uh, we will address it. We will get back to you. You know what? Take your iPhone. Just record yourself saying the disclaimer in the front of the show. And then just email that yeah. right to us. And if you don't know what it is, you can just go all the way back to the beginning and listen. That's yeah. what it is. Right. Yeah. Right. Or, or, Patty, you want to give a... You want to give one? You want to just give a little <laughs> test? The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant, meant to, to be, be misconstrued, misconstrued as medical, medical diagnosis, diagnosis or treatment, treatment advice. advice. So that's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And you can do that. Do it. That'd be fun. Yeah. I know you want to. Anyway. Um, so, man. Listen, I am super excited. And as you know, I've been following Dr. Joe Feuerstein for some time. And mm-hmm. you and I have like literally been diving deep into this guy. And there's nothing he can't do. Yeah, he has a resume like nothing <laughs> I've ever seen. Agree, and um, agree. And the way that he's able to put together all of this scientific knowledge with all of this historic wisdom and right. natu- and wisdom around natural healing and medicines uh, is just, it's great, man. It's special. It, it's, it's a special It seriously gift. is. There's yeah. very few people who are able to, to kind of put all that together in the way that he does. So I'm super excited to have him on. Um, 
little peek behind the curtain. We did have a bit of a fluff when at the very beginning after I read his bio, I didn't have his mic recording. And so his natural reaction <laughs> to, to that, go, which was really, really great. It was really humble and hilarious and all this sort of stuff. I didn't have it. So, Way to go. so you'll, you'll notice that. But aside from that, let's get to it, right? Mm-hmm. Patty Devers. I know. Dr. Joseph Feuerstein. I've been dying to meet him. I've been dying to meet you. Let me tell you a little bit of what he's done. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, Dr. <laughs> Joseph Feuerstein, MD, is an assistant professor of clinical medicine at Columbia University, Quinnipiac University, and faculty at the University of Arizona's Center for Integrative Medicine. He served as the director of integrative medicine at Stamford Hospital in Connecticut for 15 years and saw over 45,000 integrative medicine patients. Whoa. Dr. Joe is a multiple award-winning and extensively published medical researcher in the field of botanicals and nutrition and is a New York Magazine, Connecticut Magazine, and National Castle Connolly Top Doctor. Whoa. He's also certified in medical acupuncture, clinical hypnosis, and holds a homeopathic physician license from the state of Connecticut. Dr. Joe was born in England and studied medicine at the University of London in business management at Cambridge University, and he completed a rotating internship in general and trauma surgery at the Tel Aviv University Tel Hashomer Teaching Hospital, and served as a combat physician in two elite units of the Israeli Navy. Dr. Joe moved to the U.S. 20 years ago and completed an internship and residency in family medicine at the Columbia University Stanford Hospital Family Medicine Residency Program, and he spent two years studying with Dr. Andrew Weil as part of his fellowship in integrative medicine at the University of Arizona's School of Medicine. Go Wildcats! Dr. Joe now has an online consultation service in Connecticut, Georgia, Illinois, and Florida using nutrition, hypnosis, acupuncture, botanicals, and stress management to help treat chronic medical problems, especially autoimmune disease, and teaches physicians all over the country and beyond about microbiome modulation. He is a regular weekly guest on the Zoe Today show on the Word Network, which is the largest faith-based African-American TV network in the world, and is the co-host of the award-winning internet series Condition Kitchen with international celebrity chef Daniel Green on the website Everyday Health. Dr. Joe also produces a weekly vlog called The MD Minute and is the author of several books, including Dr. Joe's Man Diet and his latest, The Cannabinoid Cookbook with Chef Daniel Green, which is number one new seller on Amazon 2022. Holy cow. So with that, welcome to this silly, puny little show compared to (laughs) what you've been up to. Uh, Nothing is puny, and I'm actually really (laughs) excited to talk uh, to the Genova uh, community. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. No, no, really, I, I really am, because uh, I've become a um, uh, an enormous advocate for microbiome, which we'll obviously talk about uh, testing and modulation. It's completely changed my practice. And I love it. I love we're, it. You know, so I'm excited to actually get into it with you. Well, good, because yeah. we have yeah. so much to talk to you about. I've been dying right. to meet you for quite some yeah, time. We've cyberstalked sure. you enough until we there finally we said, let's get this man on this show. <laughs> and listening to Michael read that, I mean, that's quite a resume. You it know, is. conventionally trained, trauma surgery, family medicine, and now you use so many different alternative therapeutics, tying everything all together. So what was the impetus for the transition there to go from conventional to add all of these other modalities? So firstly, just in terms of the trauma surgery, just to fully explain, uh, it wasn't just a random thing. Um, I uh, My family moved to Israel when I was at school. I was back and forth to Israel for many years. I, uh, as an Israeli, have um, uh, an obligation for army service. I wanted to go in actually when I was young. 
um, and was recommended by my friends to wait and to go in as an officer, which would turn out to be a much, much better idea because it's actually not good to be a grunt and it's much <laughs> better to be an officer. You know, you yes. kind of do basic training and then after that, everything's officer training and it's nice. Good. So, good. Uh, you know, um, but uh, as part of that, because we were at that point in, um, in Lebanon, uh, and I was around for the Lebanon, uh, uh, the ne- Lebanon period of, of uh, Israel, and then for the withdrawal. Um, all the doctors who were going to combat units, they really wanted you to get some experience in trauma surgery because you'd be putting in chest tubes and etc. On 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 the, the the way it works in in Israel is that they actually embed the doctors in side the units wow. so when they're there you're there wow. so if they're getting shelled then you're getting shelled too and you're not back somewhere you're right in the middle of it um wow. and so they want you to know what you're doing so um mm-hmm. so that was the trauma surgery i i was actually it's funny i i never was interested in surgery after that mm-hmm. because um i just did not find it interesting standing in an uh, operating room for like seven hours mm-hmm. i just it just did not excite me in any way i I don't understand you know so but in answer to your question really about like how did i get into integrative medicine so firstly um this is something i was interested in when i was in med school in the uk and uh the the medical school was was part of the university of london which has a number of big uh teaching hospitals it would be the equivalent of um, you know how in New York you've got a number of medical schools. Well, in England you have a number of teaching hospitals, but they're all actually part of the United uh, of, of the University of London. So there was this organisation of intercollegiate medical uh, uh, students, and I was involved in that and organised a series of lectures on alternative approaches because I just thought this cannot be the only way so let's find out what else is going on and that kind of piqued my interest some of it got a little uh a kind of questionable iridology i thought iridology was very cool but i don't know whether (laughs) i know whether this is a thing i don't know an iridologist great respect but you know i don't know how much data there was to that but Mm -hmm. it was kind of an interesting thing so i i i knew the moment i uh I, i picked actually in fact i picked family medicine as my uh, residency because I knew I was going to go into integrated medicine and I wanted to be able to treat everybody, including uh, kids. You can't do that if you're internal medicine. Right. So um, I, I love treating kids. In fact, most of my practice in homeopathy is children. Yep. Wow. Yeah, makes sense. It's really visionary, you know, to, to, have, oh, yeah, yeah. to put all that together yeah, way back then. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and to traverse so many things, but still keep an eye on what you are intending to do with your life and your passion and your mission. Um, yeah, it's very honorable. So well done. Yeah. Um, I want to spend a second talking about your latest book called The Cannabinoid Cookbook. Um, and partly because when people think of cannabinoids, they don't immediately think of like the cannabinoid system. You know, I think the association is like medical marijuana or something like yeah. that. So can you do a little bit a brief explanation on what yeah. the cannabinoid system is and why it's important? Yeah, absolutely. I would be happy to. So um, <clears throat> this is a literal system of the body, just like the respiratory uh, system and the cardiovascular system and uh, and, and the kidney, you know, the, the renal system. So this is an, a defined, understood system of the body that we've known about for 60 years. Most of the pioneering work came from a professor actually in Israel who unfortunately passed away recently called Professor Mahulam, Rafi Mahulam, who um, was really the godfather of this. And essentially over a 50 year period, the following information was gleaned. Number one, um, in the same way as 
we've known for a long time that opium is good for pain control, but we only took time to work out how that works. And it turns to be the mu receptors in the body. So the same thing Professor McCollum said, well, firstly, what's in cannabis? What is, there's lots of different types of cannabis, but um, what's the active ingredient in cannabis? And then the most important question is, what is the, that's the ligand, what is actually, what's the receptor it's working on? And so in the, um, uh, in the, actually last century now, they identified CB1 and CB2 receptors, CB1 receptors mostly in the brain, CB2 receptors um, in the rest of the body. This is actually an incredibly important system because it essentially interacts with pretty much every other neurotransmitter in the brain. And essentially, if we were to describe what the endocannabinoid system does, its main thing is to get us back into homeostasis after a stress. So whatever happens to the body, what actually calms you down and essentially modulates GABA and serotonin and adrenaline, everything. It's actually the master conductor that is the endocannabinoid system. And it's also incredibly important for pain and for inflammation. So that is the endocannabinoid system. And just to finish up what the book is, the book is the fact that um, the nature is not going to just have one plant that would have these cannabinoids and they'd only be found in one plant that's not how nature goes mm -hmm. so guess what you can find cannabinoids there are 160 or even 180 of them the ones most people know about are thc and cbd but there are loads of others and there are terpenes and all of this is found um in food and spices so i took my chef who i've done you know five years of of uh, of this very successful internet show and we wrote a book together there is a hundred recipes not one of them has anything to do with cannabis you're not going to get a pot brownie that's not what this is about this is using herbs and foods a lots of them combined to make a dish that is rich in cannabinoids and the idea is that you have a cannabinoid rich diet all right so that's incredible on the on the heels of what you're saying knowing that there are natural drivers within the endocannabinoid system what are the main natural drivers or is, is there one or two that are the main drivers or do they work in in concert with each other to affect the cannabinoid system uh let me give you a couple of examples um just to kind of dis describe and the idea here is one of the principles of this is that there is this concept called the entourage or the cascade effect. This is something else that um, that Professor McCollum postulated in the, in the you know later on in his life, and it goes like this: when you look at, for example, <clears throat> when you look at cannabis, because the research was mostly done on cannabis. When you look at cannabis, and you give someone um, simple THC by itself, just THC, um, and you look at their pain relief or you give them THC and CBD, what you actually find is you get more of an analgesic, more of a pain relief mm -hmm. if you combine the cannabinoids. So his theory was that the way, why does the plant have 160 different cannabinoids? Right. I mean, again, Aristotle says nature does nothing uselessly. So there has to be a reason we just didn't figure it out. And he came up with a very logical idea, which goes like this, therefore, all of these cannabinoids are interacting and hitting the endocannabinoid system in multiple different ways. And that's precisely what the book is doing. So I'll give you an example. Um, truffle. Okay, truffle. Right. Mm -hmm. Truffle oil. So very briefly, 
the endogenous agonist, meaning the neurotransmitter, the, the actual um, cannabinoid, we make our own homegrown, American-grown cannabinoid in our body mm-hmm. is anandamide. Okay, there's actually two, 2-AG and anandamide. But let's talk about anandamide. Anandamide comes from the Ayurvedic word for bliss, and it's the bliss molecule. It's mostly working on the CB1 receptors in the brain. So, again, I want to go back to nature does nothing uselessly. So it turns out that truffles are full, they are pure anandamide. Hmm. So when you eat truffle, so a dish that has truffle oil is essentially eating, I'm giving you a CB1 agonist. I'm giving you something that is pure truffles. The interesting thing about nature makes nothing, make, uh, does nothing uselessly is um, if you think about the whole truffle story, it works like this. Um, we get truffles, they are tied to oak trees, to the, to the roots of the oaks. Right. Uh, they're symbiotic with the oaks. And what happens is, in since Roman times, um, we've used, well, we, it's not me, but people have used, I, I speak on behalf of the human. <laughs> um, so uh, we've used uh, truffle pigs, right? That'll dug, dug, you know, burrow down up mm-hmm. to about four feet to go and find these truffles. Right. So... You kind of always wondered, or I did, if I heard about that, like, what's up with all that? Like, why <laughs> pig burrowing? Right. Four feet. I mean, that's just devotion. Right. Four feet is a long way to go. <laughs> I mean, you know. So why do they do that? Well, they do that because it is pure anandamide, and the truffle pig wants to get high. This is literally piggy marijuana. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. sit there and they eat them. In fact, you have to actually control them to the extent that in France now they they might actually start using dogs as opposed to pigs because the pigs are like having a good old time. But the most interesting part of it is do you think about it, well, what's in it for the truffle? And the the idea is that the truffle is full of spores. The spores are not going to be broken down by the you know the GI system of the of the pig. The pig's now going to go burrow eat the truffle, go off to another area of southern France, spread its feces, and the spores are going to go to other, uh, it's sure. going to propagate. Yeah. Sure. Nature yeah. does nothing uselessly. So that's, you know, so that's just kind of like an endocannabinoid thing. We've got foods that um, induce, they increase the amount of CB1 or CB2 receptors. We've got um, uh, 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 foods that actually uh, inhibit the breakdown of mm-hmm. anandamide. I mean, so in other words, this is kind of neat because you're using all these different foods together. You can't, you don't put all 11 of them together because then you end up with like a gross meal. Uh, but instead, <laughs> Dr. Daniel, who is an amazing chef, will put them together and put four or five of these things together um, and you will get an, an, a, a cannabinoid rich, uh, rich uh, dish essentially. And you're hitting it in the same way as the entourage effect is doing this with cannabis, you are hitting this with food. This is brilliant. Available on Amazon. That's brilliant. I have so many places to go. I'm I'm so <laughs> pumped up right now. So, like, first and foremost, the idea that nature does nothing uselessly and the idea the, the symbiotic or the synergistic effect of these cannabinoids in a food, I think, also uh. speaks to the whole concept from botanical medicine standpoint of mm. we don't want to just extract one constituent and call that medicine. I mean, the plant is as a whole, typically, more of a medicine because it has all these things that sort of counterbalance, counteract, all this sort of stuff. So um, I, I that makes total sense to me. We're a little bit stressed these days, it seems. Um, and when we talk about stress, a lot of times we talk about cortisol and the HPA yeah. axis and things like that. So what's the interaction between that stress system and the cannabinoid system, which seems to be kind of the, the recovery system? So, I, I mean, the two things are because the 
Um, the endocannabinoid system is not only in the brain, but it's also, and obviously the hypothalamic pituitary system is part of the brain. In fact, in terms of weight, one CB1 receptors are one of the most common receptors found all over the brain. So everything's interacting and, um, um, and then the CB2 receptors are actually found in the body. So there's a absolute dance between the, um, stress response and then how we get back into balance which is your endocannabinoid system is going to then get you back calm again back to optimal functioning what i really say is it's the actual homeostatic mechanism to re-establish homeostasis in the body um and that's i mean listen if you use marijuana then you'll understand what that's doing and that's essentially working a lot on the cb1 receptors of the brain Got it. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, the plots are never very stressed out, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I've seen. Um... That's right. That's right. Can, can I ask a dumb question? Mm. This might be really dumb, but I'm not afraid to ask questions like this. Mm. So in your experience, I mean, you've put out this book. You probably get a lot of feedback. Mm -hmm. um, have people come to you using these recipes and had some significant appreciable improvements and or do you have any like labs to back this up to say like, you know, you know, some of these foods are in fact improving your cortisol levels, your HPA axis, you know, circadian rhythm? So, so it's, uh, so it's a, it's a very, very good question. The answer is that anecdotally, obviously from readers, they tell me that they have a reduction in inflammation because the diet is, I didn't tell you all the foods, but when we get into the foods, a lot of them are anti-inflammatory spices mm -hmm. okay. where, where there's an enormous amount of data. Um, turmeric actually works a different way, but when you've got things like oregano and you've got thyme and you've got basil uh, and you've got black pepper, um, all of those are potently anti-inflammatory. In fact, whenever you do, you know, I did like two years of, of training in, in clinical aromatherapy. And one of the things about, um, about essential oils is that if you read any essential oil, it's always going to have antimicrobial, anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory properties, because you're talking about an incredible uh, substance that has lots of constituents. So, um, so what I mean, you know, so it doesn't surprise me that it's generally anti-inflammatory, but unlike an anti-inflammatory diet, this is more about emphasis. What you're trying to do is remember that these foods are particularly important to emphasize in the same way as everyone should be, you know, trying to eat fermented food and soluble fiber. That should be part of what you're looking at in your diet to try and give yourself the best microbiome you can get. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. it does make sense. Well, and how much have we really kind of mitigated the realm of spices and their evolutionary importance? I mean, we used to use them not just for the standpoint of flavoring food, but there was to get to the microbiome part of this, it was the way that we preserved food and made it safe right. to eat for longer periods of time. So it's natural that right. we developed a relationship with it. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I am curious too about, you know, you mentioned tumor. What are, what are some of the other foods that might work on the, uh, the cannabinoid system? Oh, so uh, another one is, I mean, it's all good food. So for example, uh, um, uh, so it turns out that omega-3s, but again, they work differently. So, you know, the point is not to say omega-3, which is anti-inflammatory and everyone in the world is, is knows all about omega-3s. This is a different take on omega-3s. Um, basically, uh, the um, endogenous cannabinoids, which are uh, anandamide and 2-AG, are derivatives of fatty acids, and they're actually made from omega-6s, which are anti-inflammatory however the body like everything else if you have too much omega-6 technically you will make too much anandamide 
too much to AG, you'll just be too shilled out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You just, you know, you're just not going to be able to actually be efficient. Um, again, I, re- I return, I, re- I remind everybody about the pothead you might have met in college. So the point <laughs> is, that we don't want to do that. So what's the, what, so, so essentially what happens is the body down regulates, sure. meaning it stops making as many CB1 and CB2, but specifically CB1 receptors in the brain. So you get less CB1 receptors mm-hmm. if you're having a diet that is inflammatory anyway, but is specifically inflammatory by omega-6. So what do you do? You change that by having a higher omega-3. And again, this is not just to do with omega-6 and omega-3 ratio when we all know the inflammation. Actually, what it does, which is the neat part, is it upregulates CB1 receptors. So does exercise. Uh, and to be perfectly honest with you, chronic cannabis use, not a surprise, down-regulates sure. the CB receptors because you've got too much of it. Sure. You know? Yeah. Mm. So it's cannabinoid resistance. We were just talking about yeah. leptin resistance. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly it. It's exactly like cannabinoid resistance, precisely that. So, you, so you know, this, another one is chocolate, but not just regular chocolate. It's not, there's nothing that Hershey's are making. It's like the, the, the cacao. And that has masses, I mean, such incredible um, health-promoting properties, but it also actually has a um, uh, an effect because the breakdown enzyme for the anandamide 2-AG, which is called uh, um, FAAH, um, is, um, uh, is inhibited by these compounds found in chocolate. Mm-hmm. So you're essentially breaking down, you're, you're inhibiting the enzyme that breaks down the cannabinoids. Got it. Got it. You know, I, I think of this in terms of pharmaceuticals, like, okay, so, uh, you know, in, in, in drugs, we have things where we'll inhibit an enzyme so the levels stay high, or we'll do something to um, upregulate receptors, or we'll do something to uh, actually stimulate CB1 receptors uh, or CB2 receptors, which are the terpenes found in all those herbs. So what you're doing here is you are trying to hit this in a million different ways. Sure. All right. So I want to bring this one question to kind of get us into to gut health, because I know this is Ooh. another one of your passion projects. But before, I want to connect the two here for just one second. Sure. If you're saying that CB2 receptors are kind of all over your body, I'm assuming mm. that they are in the GI tract. Definitely. OK, so then I'm thinking in my mind, as you were speaking, the gut brain axis and how much of that gut brain axis is related to the CB2s and the CB1s interacting with each other. And if that could be a, a big part of the gut brain axis. I, I, I've no doubt that that's that, that that's there. I'm, I, um, I'm sure that's where research is going to go um, because that research has already gone between, you know, the serotonin made in the gut and going to the brain. Again, this is not a surprise at all. Um, and remembering that we make cannabinoids, but we also consume cannabinoids. <clears throat> so healthy diets, now we're understanding that part of healthy diets are cannabinoid-rich diets. And where is all those, where, where is all, the, all those, the, the, the beta carophyllin, this is the terpene found in all of those, uh, uh, found in all of those uh, spices, that's going to your, that's going to your, it's your gut, and then it's going to your bloodstream, and then it's going to stimulate, it's going to get through the blood-brain barrier and go to CB1 receptors in your brain. So, you know, all of this is, uh, is, is, is very much where things are going. There isn't a disease that isn't connected to your microbiome. Right, hmm. right. Wow. Right. Well, that's, that's, I, I love this because for one, we've not covered this, but it's, no. it's linking so many different things together. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, it's also an area that we haven't really talked a whole lot from an intervention standpoint. Are there mm. things that we can do on the prevention side? Like, are there risk factors? Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, kind of the overconsumption aspect, but are there other risk factors to lead to an imbalance of the cannabinoid system? 
So firstly, in terms of the research, there is a postulated uh, syndrome, which is like endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome, or essentially. And there's some studies that seem to suggest, the population studies, that would suggest that this might be responsible for some of the functional uh, disease problems that people have, such as fibromyalgia and chronic pain Mm -hmm. and chronic fatigue. So that's a very novel way of looking at it. I don't mean that the answer is everyone should just go on 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 medical marijuana, though I have no I, I actually find medical marijuana to be quite useful in the right patients, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, especially for like neuropathic pain. Um, but um, <clears throat> no, I think the idea here is, well, if you if you read the book, you'll get 100 recipes. There we are. That was a shameless <laughs> plug for the book. But, you know, so so look, again, uh, things like dark chocolate, fish, tumor, uh, omega-3 uh, fatty fishes, uh, uh, black pepper, uh, um, uh, truffle, oregano, thyme, basil. But again, you've got to know how to put that together. Right. You know, I had one patient of mine. I remember, uh, actually, it wasn't a patient. It was someone who asked me and, you know, I did a lot of uh, talks about this. So someone puts his hand up and says, well, why can't I just get a smoothie and put all this in? And I said, but I think it's going to taste disgusting (laughs) because you have to do that every day and it should be enjoyable. You want to eat something that tastes good. That's why you have a celebrity chef. That's (laughs) That's where Daniel Green comes in. (laughs) Daniel Green, you know, it's very funny how we we work together because essentially we've got it down to a science now. But, you know, the thing that we did on Condition Kitchen was it's very it's really quite novel. Basically. Um, uh, we would have someone on the show who had a serious medical condition. So it could be ulcerative colitis, it could be heart disease, it could be um, it could be diabetes, it could be obesity, um, any of those things. And then we would use a literally disease-specific diet. So everyone didn't get the same thing. Everyone didn't get an anti-inflammatory diet. It depended on what we were trying to treat. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that I can tell you what to eat. I can't tell you how to prepare that in any right. you know kind of, uh, uh, well, I would say a coherent way because I'm not a very good cook. <laughs> so that's what Daniel and I do is we, you know, so essentially we put together, I say, okay, these are the rules that he runs through this recipe. And I say, let's substitute that. Let's substitute this. And he is brilliant. Mm. I mean, the stuff he cooks, it's actually such a fun to go in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the kitchen with him because what he, we, we eat what he cooks and it's just, you know, I remember we did this one for diabetes and it was like this 85% dark chocolate. Um, it wasn't a mousse. It was almost like a, uh, like a lava cakey type of thing, but it was incredibly healthy with avocado oil. It just, it was so good that I kept on going back. And I, I, I think people knew I had an issue. You know? <laughs> what an amazing concept, though. I love it's, that. Um, it's yeah. great to do this all the time. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I do want to touch a little bit on the, the gut health Mm. Um, aspect of it too because you do a lot of speaking on that as well um, and you've been doing some case study work on using things mm. like the GIFX dual profile so what are some of your more compelling stories and clinical outcomes as a result of, of using gut testing and um, if you can just speak a little bit about, around that as that would be great. And Michael so yeah so firstly I want to tell you that um, uh, I was not a fan in the beginning okay <laughs> So no no I, I full disclosure so I finished my fellowship in Arizona uh, 2007 so that was uh, um, that's getting on that's 15 years ago and um, I would say that for the first number of years I was not convinced this was the functional medicine testing in general was something that um, 
I worked for a hospital and a hospital system where if there was such a thing as conservative integrative medicine, so we would stick to my body and, and, and nutrition and stress management and acupuncture and hypnosis. And they tolerated my homeopathy and kids because I, I kind of was discreet about it. But <laughs> functional medicine staff, because we you know, were, were part of Columbia, um, they were not big on because that would, um, as we hit any functional medicine test, it would irritate some subspecialty. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So the endocrinology thing, that would be, the endocrinologist would, well, what is this? And anyway, so I generally did not do it. And then I, uh, the, the, the center where I worked, we had a number of fellows who trained with us for two years. Uh, they then actually joined a number of them as, as faculty. So we ended up with a very big center that saw 15,000 patients a year. So we were very, very busy because we took insurance that so that allowed us to see a lot of patients. But a, one of our later fellows who was great was into functional medicine so she you know shows me a gi effects and i'm like okay um all right fine let me try this <laughs> no but yeah i i really i want you to understand the skepticism because yeah. this was probably i don't know maybe five or six years ago mm -hmm. and uh so i ordered a test and i thought it was kind of interesting and i did do uh you know i did uh speak to the people actually at genova to go over the test results and then I thought, okay, well, this gives me some insight that I would not know any other way. You know, in other words, what I say to people, because I, I lecture a lot, I teach uh, fellows about this. I, I literally last week take a whole load of concierge doctors all over the country, all about microbiome modulation. And I said, the information this gives you is um, actionable intelligence. And there is no other way to know this. They're, either you do or you don't, because if not, you're just guessing. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I did one. And, you know, and I can't remember what the case was, but I just remember that probably one of the IBS patients to begin with. And it gave me a direction that I would never have thought of because generally we were much more nutrition based with judicious use of some supplements, not many of them, because you are essentially being blind. You don't know what you're doing. You know, like probiotics, for example, probiotics to me are going into a garden blindfolded and throwing seeds everywhere. Yeah. Right. That could be a great idea and that could sure. be a terrible idea. We have no idea because you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So now we do know what we're doing. So now you can actually do, firstly, it's much more individualized, but secondly, it's much more accurate. You have an idea you know, of where you are. So I started doing one, then another. And then in the end, this literally became a, a large part of my practice, especially uh, you know, when I started doing online. Uh, I do a lot of GI testing. I consult for companies who want to do this. Um, I am an enormous fan because of what I said, because there's no other way to get the information. So I, and in the cases that I, that I, that I teach about to kind of just illustrate how to do it, one of them is a patient with rosacea, one of them is a patient with literally not well-controlled ulcerative colitis, and one of them is a patient with IBS, and all three of them have clinically meaningful, not just in lab tests and ESRs going down and calprotectins going down, but clinically meaningful in terms of their skin or their mood, their IBS, their diarrhea, their bloating, and in the, in the UC, their bloody diarrhea completely disappears. There's no way I would know how to be able, I couldn't do that without this information. So, you know, after the fellowship for about, I would say maybe seven or eight years, Yes, I do acupuncture and I do acupuncture and hypnosis, which is all great. And there's a place for it and homeopathy. But eventually you get to a point where you've got your bow, you've got your tr techniques, 
And I didn't really do anything new until I started doing this. This absolutely changed my practice. And very few things change your practice once you're mm. kind of, you know, there, you you know, you, you already do your nutrition and your botanicals mm. and your et cetera. But this was amazing. This wow. was um, certainly uh, revolutionary for me and has been, uh, I, I hope, a very a very big impact on, on my patients, you yeah. know? Yeah, and I, I will say, in our medical affairs department, you probably called and either spoke to me or Michael because <laughs> <laughs> we've been here that long. But yeah. our team is profoundly passionate and our mm. CEO calls it the MA swagger, the medical affairs swagger, because right. we hear stories like that every day that change yeah. patients' lives. And yeah. so for us, we just come in with such gratitude every day that we're actually making a difference in people's lives. So to hear you say that really like resonates with us. Yeah, I think team. one of the things that stands out too in, in that sort of explanation was something we say quite often is like, it, well, if you always got the results that you were expecting, then you wouldn't do the test. Right. And yes. so that's yes. that's what I'm hearing. in that is like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of times where you, you find that surprise. You're like, oh, I was I was looking here, but I need to go over here. A hundred. You just you're I love the word actionable intelligence. I know we use it, you know, if, if all the, the movies with the CIA, but that's what it is. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff where it's like, OK, it's very nice. I mean, like, for example, you know, I, I was joking with you guys before we got on and I said, because I do homeopathy, it's like I'm, I'm all about I want to hear what color your sputum is, because in homeopathy, that's like everything <laughs> is accurate. What time of day, what your sleep position is, do you put your arms up? I mean, it's all this kind of right. stuff that you think is strenuous, but it's not because that's actually literally how you get to the to the to the to um, to the remedy. Um, and and I suppose so this is the same thing where you're 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 getting information because this is not extraneous. You have no other way. This is vital to the treatment plan. So now I will everyone will get, you know, uh, if I were doing GI stuff, you may get, a, you know, a slightly restrictive diet for the first couple of weeks while we've cooked your microbiome test. But you're going to get a microbiome test and I would do a microbiome test. And I, I, I say this, you know, whenever I, I consult, I'm doing this for patients. If you have an autoimmune disease, if you have an allergic disease, if you have a mood disorder, um, uh, I also will see it for, for, for like pre-dementia and dementia. Uh, and then any kind of like functional GI thing, like bad reflux, uh, bloating or IBS, that is probably my first line. I will put you on a diet while I'm waiting mm -hmm. because it's going to take four weeks to get anything. So, you know, you're going to go on a, on a FODMAPS diet if I think it's SIBO uh, and you're going to feel happier, but we're not going to fix it because when you come off your FODMAPS diet, you're still going to have SIBO. Um, and I don't like restrictive diets for longer than a, a very, you know, limited amount of patients. So I, I, t I, t I teach the fellows that I think of things as there's a type, there's a, there's a part one diet and there's a part two diet. The part two diets are the healthy diets, like anti-inflammatory or plant forward if you want to be more vegan or whatever, or a Mediterranean or kind of modified Mediterranean. But those are kind of part two diet. Part one diets can be very restrictive because you're doing something for a defined amount of time. Hmm. But I, those patients are going to get a GI fix. Yeah. See, yeah, yeah. see, and I will say, Dr. Joe, like, like we said earlier, we've been cyber stalking you long enough that <laughs> oh, we, were, we were dying to get you on the show. And we, yeah, and I, I did want to because you mentioned something, and we're talking about diets just for a, a second, and we talked mm. a little bit about fiber before. Um, and I wonder sometimes about some of the I don't know more controversial diets like the carnivore diet, where they say basically yeah. some people say you know fiber is actually totally not necessary. You've got other ways to create short chain fatty acids and things like that. I'm wondering because I I'm I'm feeling like you're the guy. 
Like you're the guy I should be asking these questions to. So how do you feel about that concept or that nuance to, to fiber? So firstly, I find soluble fiber to be much more meaningful mm -hmm. uh, because it, it has more interesting effects on the body, including a significant effect on cholesterol. Um, I did read this book, but I, he wasn't a doctor. And I how I got it, and it was just like a whole lot of attack on fiber. It went on for 100 pages, and some <laughs> of it was not medically uh, accurate, but it, it was an interesting idea. I, I think if you look at the preponderance of the population studies in nutrition right now, and I, I just think that if you look at the actual data and you read enough of this, what you're going to find is the following, that diets that are high in berries, you know, nuts, fruits, and vegetables, which have fiber. I'm sorry, they all have fiber. That's one of the key ingredients. Um, soluble fiber being the magical one, like Jerusalem artichoke, or uh, um, uh, or uh, um, resistant starch, bananas, green bananas, or, you know, these types of things. They're all wonderful, or oats, etc. You know, um, but the idea is that those are the healthiest diet. In general, I think we would all agree that there, the research would suggest that uh, that a plant that a diet that has more plant protein and less animal protein is probably healthier. But you have to be. I say this to the fellows all the time. You have to be kind, and you can't be authoritarian because this person has to go and do that. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe in one diet. I believe in diets based on what disease we're trying to treat. Yeah, right. and. So that's what this is about. So, you know, if my only thing is uh, that everybody has to be plant forward and everything has to be vegan, then that's the only drum you beat for all problems. And, uh, and if everything's keto, then again, I would use keto in someone I'm trying to help with their blood sugars and their weight. That would be more about what it's about. Yeah. And if it's about cancer, I'd be looking at their plant protein versus the animal protein because there is a thing about protein and the types of protein you have and cancer. You know, uh, so, but I think it, yeah, you just have to be more, again, you know, the point of the book, the cannabinoid cookbook is not that this is the only diet, you can only eat these foods and that's it. Because um, frankly, that would mean the only protein you would eat is fish, you know, and, and you're not a walrus, you know, you're not a seal. <laughs> and, and I do realize that fish is actually a complete protein, you would be fine with it. But you know, with some spices and black pepper chocolate, I think we're good. But, you know, <laughs> but, but I think that the idea is that it's about emphasis. And so that's what like in clinical practice, when you're writing a book, and I've written two diet books, when you're writing a book, you can be a little bit more dogmatic, but you have to remember that when you are actually talking to patients and counseling them, kindness, is the way mm. so emphasize but don't you know don't don't preach right mm -hmm. right and wow. I, and i will say for those of you who are listening um dr joe's youtube videos his social media his <laughs> vlogs are excellent sources of the latest research and all of these topics the little bite-sized bits of of all the most interesting health topics that are come out in research and wellness and so dr joe for those who are listening in addition to them checking out all of your videos how do listeners go to sign up to work with you one-on-one -on -one in consultation? So come to my website and uh, um, and then, you know, the way this would be, you'd contact me and then and then I'm, I'm unfortunately not in insurance for this. And so it's uh, it's an out of network thing, but um, providing you're in one of the states where I actually see patients because uh, it's all virtual. 
then I'd be happy to work with patients. And uh, but I, 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 it would be great actually to follow what I do on uh, uh, on social media. So that is put on LinkedIn, it's put on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it now, and uh, <laughs> and YouTube. Um, and actually, the easiest way is to just go to my website, drjoefeuerstein.com. Joe is in my name, Feuerstein. Uh, Feuer, which is spelt German for fire, and Stein is in stone because it's really Flintstone. Nice. <laughs> Flintstone, that's Whoa, literally. Oh, I love it. Place. When, when, when my, my, my father uh, you know, traveled a lot because he was a, an international uh, uh, filmmaker. And um, when he went to Germany, he actually speaks German, but when he went to Germany, uh, he brought back a, cont- a, a cartoon and it had the Feuerstein family and it was the Flintstones. And I was very, I was very excited. So, you know, I'm a massive celebrity in Germany. <laughs> well done. Well, well done. I, w- I will say this has been a phenomenal amount of oh great goodness. information. You did not Thank disappoint. You. We've been dying to meet you. No, oh. Absolutely. You should not give me your uh, cell phone number. Yeah, not that you're no. offering because I'd be blowing you up all the time. <laughs> well, it's very good. We are going to link to your website in our show notes as well as all of your Fantastic. books. We're going to encourage all the listeners to check out the cannabinoid cookbook. But before we let you go dr joe oh. we do have one last question that i'm going to kick oh. to michael chapman yeah it's called the fireball yeah this is the fireball question it's the a silly fireball. ridiculous question that we asked oh. at the end and we didn't okay. prep before this i did notice that there was nothing on the bio about international footballer or anything like that but uh, myself being kind of an anglophile i was wondering if uh the arsenal gunners have a shot at the uh, premier league championship this year well i Historically and from familial point of view, I'm a Manchester United fan. Oh. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm not that much, but my 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 nieces and nephews are like this is literally almost a point of war. So <laughs> I wouldn't even consider anything other than Manchester United going to win everything, always, forever, the end. Well done, and there you have it, Michael. <laughs> Well, Dr. Joe, thank you for spending time with us. And hopefully this is the first of many more appearances to come. Please. I'd be delighted to. It's really a pleasure working with you both. Okay. Did not disappoint. Was super excited. That was awesome. And and because you know, we've we've listened to so many of his videos and we've seen him speak. And this is the tip of the iceberg. Like Mm -hmm. this, we could have done... So we could have gone so oh, many no, places. I, like, exactly. This is it has to be just the first of many more appearances. To we come. were scri- I was scribbling all over the, the, I know, the paper here the two of us for were. sure. Mm-hmm. I had so many questions that ca- came up during that conversation. Yeah. I was dead serious about how he should not be giving me his phone number because <laughs> I would be texting him all the time. No, seriously, we have to have him back because I have lists and lists of topics to talk to him about. Yeah, because he just explains things so easily and so well, and he's so smart and so charming. With a great accent. <laughs> of course. I mean, he could be doing like nature documentaries <laughs> and it would sound incredible. Man, I'm an anglophile. It's ridiculous. You are. Oh, well, I couldn't agree more. Thanks, Oliver. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk to Dr. Jeffrey Gladden. We're going to hear all about the symphony of longevity. I'm here for any symphony, really. Me too, I guess. You never hear something like the hormone Gregorian chant. Sounds like a snooze fest. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. I do have to say, Michael... 
I was quite impressed with you reading that bio without stopping to gulp ten times. Hmm. It was a long one. Yeah. You did well. Thank you. I was really impressed. Thank you. People don't understand that reading the bio is really the hardest part of this podcast. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity for hiccups. There are. But on the back end of me congratulating you on reading the bio... Here we go. You did start it out by going, Dr. Joe... <laughs> Feuerstein. <laughs> I, did. I did. I looked at it. <laughs> and normally most people, I think, would like do it in their head before starting the word. But I just <laughs> I, I just sort of like started and then realized, wait a minute, where am I going? <laughs> you know, it was funny. You don't expect to start a bio and get tased. <laughs> That's kind of what it sounded like. It's like a speed bump. You got stuck. Things on skip. <laughs> <laughs> Feuerstein. Like Michael. I was like, should I hit you in the back of the head? To move <laughs> He's <forward?"> stuck. <laughs> He's stuck. 